Well, good morning, everybody. I want to say thank you for uh, giving me a chance to step away for a little bit and just take a break and kind of just kind of be for a while. I appreciated it. Um, and Mike was telling me this week that uh, it takes a lot to get up here and do this every Sunday, um, and he's right; it does. Uh, when you give the word of God, you. There's, there's a weight on your shoulders as you do so, and so to, to be able to step back and just be in the Word of God instead of having to, 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 have to present it uh, gives you just a break, even though it didn't take away uh, or, or step away from the Word. I, I just got a chance to just be in the Word. That's so important, and that's going to be what we're talking about today is being in the Word of God. And the song we just sang, to cry out, I'm going to Bring our minds back to that here in a few seconds as we go. And we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And hopefully by the end of today, you're going to get an understanding of while we're saved out of darkness, it's through the word of Christ. It's through our diligence to seek it out and to pour into it. That really drives us there. Now I want you to think, all of us have heard those horror stories of the child that fell down the well or the... the um, soccer team that got caught in the deep cave in Thailand. And I want you to stop and think and put yourself there. So if you need to close your eyes as we go through and we talk about this, go ahead and do so. But I want you to think about being someplace that's really deep and really kind of cool because the natural climate down there is cooler and, you, and, and damp and wet and there's no light. Have any of you ever had a chance to visit a cave like Mammoth Caves or someplace where when they turn off the lights, it's completely black? Anybody show of hands? few of us. So we've all been in that type of place or we've all experienced that or maybe you're really lucky and you got to stay in a room one night that actually had those blinds that block out all light and you got that really dark room for that night to sleep really good in. But when you're in that darkness and you open your eyes, even after a little while, it doesn't help any. You know, normally like if there's any ambient light, if there's any type of light in the room whatsoever, when you open your eyes after a little while, your eyes adjust to it, right? But when you're in the complete darkness and there is no light, it doesn't matter how long you sit with your eyes open. It doesn't matter how hard you try to concentrate, squint, or try to make out shapes. You can't see any of it. See, and outside of Christ, that's where we sit. We, see, we sit in complete darkness. It's only the light that Jesus Christ brings, the truth that he brings to us, that shows us the path out of the darkness. I can remember when I was a young kid, we were in Mammoth Caves and they shut off the light and they gave us the very strict warning that everybody needs to be seated and you need to remain seated during this time. You can't stand up, don't try to walk, don't try to move, don't reach out, just sit perfectly still because they understood that in that darkness you would hurt yourself. It was a danger for you to try to find your way out of the darkness. And the funny thing is, is they only used 60 watt light bulbs down in the cave. But when those came on, they were as bright as the brightest spotlight I'd ever probably seen in my life. My eyes actually like squinted it because it was so bright. Because after sitting there for a minute in complete darkness, my senses were numb. My eyes had become dull. See, that's all the things that we sit in our heart when we sit in the darkness. And so please, if you could stand with me as we read from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Peter's instructing his church, therefore rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into your salvation. If you have tasted that, the Lord is good. And as you come to him, a living stone 
rejected by the people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, see, I say, or I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe. But for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone. And a stone to stumble over, a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's bow our heads in prayer. (coughs) Excuse me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come into your presence today and we open our hearts to your presence, to your Holy Spirit, that it may draw us out of the darkness and into the light, that we may become your people, that we may now experience the mercy that you have given us through Jesus Christ on the cross. For it is not ours, but it is yours, a gift unto us. It's the main reason we come into this season with joyful hearts and hope in our hearts, to have joy amongst each other, it's because we all know that only through you, Jesus Christ, do we have the ability to have hope, a hope in eternal life. And so, God, we seek you. We cry out for your word to be made whole through it and to be drawn out of the darkness, out of the fear and the danger, into the light, the joy, and the happiness that comes with it. Lord God, we lift this up in your holy name. Amen. Please have a seat. So the men who are at men's study are going to sound kind of familiar because we were talking about this yesterday. But Peter begins this section, kind of titled The Living Stone and a Holy People in a lot of scripture inside your Bibles. He begins by telling them to put away their past. To put away all malice. We had to have that conversation. What is malice? Well, malice is to do evil with intent. So in other words, to purposely choose to do something evil to someone else. And most of us sit there and think like, well, that's, we don't do that. That's, that's not something that most people do. But I, I challenge you a little bit to really evaluate your life and see, like, do you maybe do that? Do you do something to make someone else's life difficult just because they made your life difficult? And you choose to do that, that's malice. When you have the ability to do good, but you choose to not do the good or the full good because you're kind of upset about something, that's malice. If you choose to uh, ride someone's tail when you're going down the road or flip them off or shake your fist at them, that's malice. See, Each and every day we probably struggle with malice. We struggle with all these things. That was the one thing that we came up in in study group yesterday. 
as we were talking this, if we're really honest with ourselves, we probably have an experience or a moment that we could decide either direction in each one of these, with, whether it's malice, deceit, hypocrisy. How many of us know what Scripture teaches us, but yet we still do something different every once in a while? Right? That's hypocrisy, right? This, this is the thing that we just sit and dwell with all too often. And, and, and praise God for this. He knows what he's created. He knows who we are, and he still has mercy and grace upon us. He still chose to send Jesus Christ for us. This isn't saying that you're going to not have salvation on the backside of it. It's a natural human characteristic, but we have to be cautious. We have to try to catch ourselves and stop ourselves and pull ourselves out of it. And that's what Peter's telling us. Is he says, like, get rid of it all. Do your best to be the best person that Christ is making you to be. So get rid of all malice, of deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Envy's a hard one in our society, isn't it? We're all told to like strive for that next step, to make that next job promotion, to get that bigger house, to make a bigger salary, to have a little bit more here, a little bit better this. And, and we watch the Joneses, right? We call it, you know, keeping up with the Joneses is, the, is a side little thing that we talk about or the little phrase that we, we say. But we see that in, in our, our natural culture that we live in compels us to have a, a sense of envy inside of us. Oh, I want to move up there. Oh, I want that guy's job. That's what I wanted. Um, I, I wanted that promotion. That's all envy. And what does that do to us? It turns our heart black. It kind of crushes us and, and wraps us away. And it pulls us into a cell. It, it literally brings us into the darkness and wraps us around it so we can no longer see the light. See, one thing that we talked about yesterday as we got to the end is, is if we can get rid of all that stuff, we start learning to live in contentment. To just be happy with what God has blessed us with right here, right now. To not feel like we need the next step to be happy, but to just be happy here. If you have a roof over your head, if you're wearing clothes today, if you woke up breathing this morning, we should have a sense of joy and happiness, a sense of just peace and comfort in our lives. Why? Because we are better than some people this morning. Or I should say better off than some people this morning. See, every day God blesses us with little things all day long that we overlook because we're too busy being envious. We're too busy trying to get back at the person who did something to us. And we miss all the blessings that are in our lives. I'm sorry, this is like the same way out now. There we go. Let me, let me just adjust this so they don't have to sit there and play constantly back there. All right, let's see if that holds up for a while. And so what we have to be mindful and what Peter's reminding his church is, is that we have to be able to set aside all that stuff so that we can focus what does he tell us to focus on? He tells us, he says, he goes, like newborn infants desiring the pure milk of the word. And so the next question we have to ask ourselves, well, what is this pure milk, this pure spiritual milk? The, the one translation I, I was reading as I was preparing said the unadulterated milk. So in other words, just like left alone. Now, I don't know if you guys have grown up on a farm, maybe you understand that, but when a calf is born, the first first few days of that calf's life, the mother produces something different than like the milk that you would normally get from her over a long course of time. And farmers call it colostrum. And what you do is you milk that and you save as much of it as you can to get through as long of a period with those young calves as possible because nowadays practices, the mom's getting moved back up and out fairly quickly into the, the milking herd. But the thing is, is that colostrum does a couple different things. It shares the mother's developed immunity with the calf. It's high in minerals, proteins, fats, everything that a young baby needs to grow strong and quickly. 
And the third thing it does is it's filling. I mean, it is thick, thick stuff. It's like if you've ever made like natural, like homemade eggnog and it's like almost like a syrup, it's so thick, that's what the stuff's like. It's not like the milk you go and buy at the store that, you know, represents water with a little bit of food coloring added to it almost half the time. It's thick and it's rich and it's heavy and it's dense. See, I heard someone say it's good. Milk from the tank's good. Colostrum, I wouldn't suggest. <laughs> just, just putting it out there. <laughs> Having milk for years. But the concept behind it is this is what Peter is telling his congregation to seek out. To seek out the pure milk, the pure spiritual milk that Jesus Christ gives. And he, how does he tell us to do it? Like a newborn infant. The song we just sang, my heart cries out. Does your heart truly cry out like an infant seeking the pure milk of a mother? How many of you have had children? Yep, dads too, because when that baby starts crying at three o'clock in the morning, you're being woke up too, right? It's insistent. And the only thing that will calm that child down is what? Substantial, nurturing, nutrient milk. And this is what he's using as an example to kind of paint the picture for us of how we should be pursuing the word of Christ, the, the word of God. My question on to you is, are you like that? Do you pursue God's word to a point where you cry out for it like an infant until you are brought to a comfortable place? Do you seek it out? Does it become your whole purpose in that morning or in that day until it is met? I don't know, I can't answer that for you. I can tell you there's ways to pursue it. I can tell you and teach you different types of ways of studying the word that would help that. And that's what we're gonna do over the next year. That's one of the main things is we wanna take a, a while this coming year to have an internal look, to build ourselves up just as we're being told to build ourselves up, to seek out that pure milk as an infant would seek out pure milk. He continues on, he says, you know, so that the milk of the word, so that you may grow up in your salvation, so that we may become stronger, that we may be protected, that we may gain the inoculation that comes with it from the darkness, as he ends in the end um, in verses nine and 10. He says, for if you have tasted that, the Lord is good. So he's saying, like, because you've had a taste, if you're sitting here, whether you're a believer or not, you've had a taste of God and you've understood that the Father is a good Father, that he brings great things into your life, that he protects you at certain periods of time. You've, you've had a, a taste and whether you've truly surrendered your heart to him and accepted, reached out and, and received the gift that has been given to you or not, you've tasted it. And you know like someone said, yeah, that milk that comes from the take tastes so much more rich, so much better than what you're buying at Quick Trip. No offense, Quick Trip but milk from the cow, straight from the cow, unadulterated, just pure milk is sweet. And it has a lot of flavor to it. And it fills you up. You don't walk away and need a glass 10 minutes later because you're hungry or thirsty again. See, that's what he's talking about. When you've tasted that, it's really hard. I mean, those people who have drank unpasteurized milk have a hard time going to that because this is just water. I hear that from my from people all the time. Oh, that, that tastes just like water. Why do you drink it? Well, that's what's in the store. It's a lot easier than going and actually milking the cow. I agree, 100%. But when you taste the real thing, it's really hard to step back. 
Have you tasted the real thing? Have you tasted the word of God? Have you tasted what comes with it? Have you been inoculated? Have you been made healthier by it? See, those are all the things he's talking about right now. And Peter's trying to get his church to understand that they have to be chasing after it, not sitting back and passively letting it be passed on. See, that's where I think the, lot, the modern day church really struggles is, is you come Sunday morning and love having you, but this isn't enough. If this is the only meal you drink or eat of throughout the course of the week, you are malnourished. You are not gonna grow up strong. You are not gonna have a healthy body. This has to be an everyday, three, four times a day type issue. And it sounds scary and it sounds like, Pastor Scott, that's a ton of work. We can't do that. We can't possibly dedicate that. But it doesn't have to be intense in time and effort because it'll be intense in the word and impact as you do it. Open it up. Read it for three minutes in the morning, three minutes at lunch, three minutes at dinner, and three minutes before you go to bed. That's 12 to 15 minutes that you're going to spend in the Word each day. Not a whole lot of time. But as you sit and think in between those periods of time, when you sit down and you read it and then you have time to dwell on it, it'll become impactful. It'll start to nurture you. It'll start to be what pure milk would be to the human body. See, Peter knows that the little bit of time he gets with his people every, every week, whether it's in Bible studies or other things, isn't enough. But the challenge comes back to you is because you have to want it to not be enough. You have to want to chase after the word of God, the living stone, as a newborn infant cries out for pure milk. And that's falling on your laps. I can't do that for you. That has to be something that dwells inside of you. And so that's the challenge that we all come into is do we chase after God's word with that? He moves on, he says, as you come to him, a living stone, this, this concept of a, of a cornerstone gets brought up. A cornerstone is a stone that's laid. There's many definitions that get used for it, but it's the stone that's laid that everything gets built up and off of. It sets the true base. It sets what walls are squared off of. All, all that comes out of that. And so he has a section to it, though. He says, but hey, well, he was the living stone. He was rejected by the, by the people, by, by those who were around him, the Jewish population that he had grown up in and had taught and worked amongst and, and should have understood him the most. While he was rejected for that, he was chosen and honored by God himself. And so this makes him the perfect cornerstone. But he adds something. He says, but you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be holy priests to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Do you think of yourselves like that? If we were to lay down a brand new church, we'd lay down the cornerstone of Christ, right? That should be the essential, non-negotiable concept that we have is that Jesus Christ and his teachings are the center at, at, at that stone. They have to be crucial. But each one of you become a brick or a stone in that building as it comes up. Why? Because the church isn't the building that surrounds us. It's us. It's the individuals sitting here right now. It's the individuals who are on vacation or who can't be here with us right now. It's the individuals who confess Jesus Christ and come together. That's the church. And so when he says that you need to be a living stone, he's giving us a little bit of an assignment of what Christ has already modeled for us, already given us a little bit of. We need to be that also. So now we have two tasks. We have the task of chasing after the word as an infant chases after pure milk, crying out for it, desperate for it, 
unsatisfied until we're filled with it. And we're called to be living stones, to be part of the church, to be part of what Christ's body is. And in this, we get the sense that we are a chosen people. He says there that you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable. And then he pulls out scripture and in verse six. He says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the ones who believe in him will never be put to shame. That comes from Isaiah 28, verse 16, as the base scripture that that gets drawn from. Um, some people wonder why in God's word do we spend so much time making sure we understand some of the Old Testament. Well, it's because a lot of the New Testament quotes it. And if we don't go back and understand that context, if we don't understand what's going on, um, at least overall inside the Old Testament, we'll, we're going to miss some of the picture. And so while we're sitting here looking at this, this is Isaiah being told by God what the Messiah will do for Israel. He'll be a base stone. He'll be the cornerstone. He'll be what solidifies and secures the nation of Israel as they go forward. But we're drawn to be Jesus' own people. Holy priesthood, special unto Christ, being, willing, being able to offer up spiritual sacrifices because the rest of the world who isn't his can't do that. So the very fact that we are who we are and that we believe what we believe and that we do what we're called to do offers up a chance for us to give these sacrifices, these, these, uh, these spiritual sacrifices onto Christ, to bring glory onto God. And so we become Jesus' own special people inside this process as, as we study his word, as we become more aligned with what he wants. Continues on, so honor will come to you who believe, but to the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone, and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip on, or to trip over. See, what Jesus has done for us is he's collected us. We've been down in the well, we fell, and we found ourselves in darkness. But because he has been able to walk the perfect life, because he was able to answer the will of God fully and completely and go to the cross, he has been able to become the rescuer for all who are down in the darkness. And he's reached down and he's brought the light. See, the second the light turned on in Mammoth Caves, I felt an urge to get up and get moving. Why? Because being in the darkness created a sense of fear. Even though I wasn't afraid of the dark when I was a kid, it was just so utterly enveloping that I couldn't f help but feel angst amongst my, you know, amongst my presence. I just, I felt like I had to get up and move. And see, that's what Jesus does is as we learn from him, as he shows us the light, we want to move towards the light. We want to move out of the darkness that set a trap around us, that put us in a cell. We want to move towards the light where we can see, where we can understand what's going on around us, where we can feel the warmth. Have you ever been out on a cold winter day like Tuesday this last week. And you come back in and you can like literally feel like, it's getting a little bit harder now with all the LED lights and, and fluorescence, but the old days I can remember you'd walk in and just, you, you'd be so cold that standing underneath iridescent light, you'd feel the heat radiating from that light. See, when you're in the darkness for too long, you, you lose that sense. But as Christ removes you, as he calls you out, as he rescues you from it, 
you start noticing all those different things. You start feeling the warmth of his, of his love in your life. You start feeling the strength that comes from being a follower and having a set path before you and a, a sense of strength and courage and boldness that we don't feel when we're by ourselves or when we're in the darkness. See, because as we study God's word, we grow stronger. We become more Christ-like is the term that we always hear. And if Christ is God and we're moving ourselves towards not becoming God, I'm not about to say that, don't go that direction, but as we become more Christ-like, as we live that life, we grow in strength. Mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all the things that matter, all those things that affect our heart and our mind, those things that keep us in bed when we're too scared to get up and walk out. So he's beckoning and he's calling us from the darkness and into the light. But he reminds us that there are those who just the very truth, the very fact that his truth is what it is that's created a stumbling block for him. See, in the Jewish tradition, they weren't expecting a passive Messiah, they were expecting a conquering king to come in and wipe out Rome and return Israel to its greatness in its early years. What they didn't realize was that the Messiah was coming to release the whole world from the spiritual Rome, Satan at the time, into a freedom of eternal life in the presence of God. And so here we have this opportunity to, to come in and start understanding that, that the, the stone to stumble over, the rock to trip over is Jesus Christ and just the fact that he is who he is. If we can't get past the fact that we have to believe that Jesus is who he is, or maybe we don't even know who Jesus is. We've heard the name, maybe we've even accepted that he died on the cross for us, but we don't really know him. It's really hard to have faith in something you don't know. Which is one of the reasons we want to take this year to really kind of push getting back into the word heavily on a daily basis. To encourage each other to form relationships and accountability partners to come together in friendships and encourage each other to be diligent in seeking out that pure milk. There's a bunch of toddlers running to the table when we say it's time to go have snacks. We need to be that way with the word. Running towards it. Excited with the adults going like, oh my gosh, it's going to hurt. But that's what we need. We need to have that in our hearts. We need to be driven towards it. So the question I have for you as we come, come towards a, a close here, is do you consider Jesus' words, his life, his teachings, the modeling that he's given us? Do you, per, do, you, do you perceive that as being precious? Do you count that as being precious in your life? Is there just something that's kind of over there? When you get a chance to sit down with God's words, you take it, and cry out as an infant cries out for a meal? Or do you let it be a stumbling block? Do you look at that place maybe where you still suffer from malice? Maybe you still have a little bit of deceit in your life or hypocrisy like most of us. Or I would wager probably all of us to some extent. Do you let envy creep into your life or even do you get slanderous or gossip? All those things that keep us from doing that. Do you, do you allow the fact that when he talks about that and it hurts a little bit here because it pulls out a little bit of truth in your life that you have to deal with, do you let that be your stumbling block? Or do you know that you have a God who even though he knows you have those things in your life, even though he knows you suffer underneath some of those struggles in your life, still went to the cross for you. 
Do you stumble over the fact that you have a God who loves you so much that he went to the cross, but now has asked you that as his child to pursue the holiness that he is instead of the wickedness of the world around you? Do you let a fact that you've got to commit time and effort towards a heavenly realm, towards a spiritual blessing inside your life instead of a worldly, fleshly blessing in your life, or I won't call it a blessing, but gift in your life, let that be your stumbling block. You sit there and say, I don't have time to put in and serve Christ because you know, I, I've got to do X, Y, Z or so-and-so's got this going on. Or do you find a way to serve Christ through that maybe? Right? No one's saying that you can't do life. No one's saying that you can't be involved. It's who are you honoring in that process? What is precious in that process for you? Is it your own glory? Kids? Students, for those of you who are in sports or other organizations, do you seek your own glory in what you're doing? The accolades for good grades or the accolades for being a great sports person or do you give glory to God for gifting you and bringing you the ability to be that? Do you understand that nothing is yours but it all comes from God first and foremost? See, those are the stumbling blocks that we in modern day 21st century America have to deal with on a regular basis. As we have a world around us telling us that this is the goal, but that goal only breaks us down and keeps us further and further in the dark. Where Christ tells us just be happy and content where you're at. Set aside all that stuff. Don't worry about whether you got the promotion or not. Do you have enough to feed your children now? Don't worry if the neighbors just got their house all redone and you can't afford to, it's not a big deal. You have a house, you have a roof, you can cook your food. Do you have friendships that are dear and close to you? Because in the end, that's what matters. There's the old adage, I've never heard a, a rich man sitting on a bed or asking for more time at work. They're always asking for the sense of where's my family. See, when we chase these things that lead us into envy, slander, deceit, all those bad things that he talks about there and we can add that list to make it huge or add to that list to make it huge. See, all those things drive relationships away and in our final days as we get older and older, we start realizing that the things we chased as a young man or woman really become those things that we have grown to dislike the most in our lives because they've taken what is most important to us in our lives away from us. Our children, our spouses, those that we truly care when we don't pursue a healthy relationship, we find ourselves wanting in the end. And no amount of money or pride or status takes that and makes that better. It just never comes. And so here we find ourselves having to ask ourselves, do we count Christ precious as a baby infant counts the milk of a mother precious? Or do we allow everything that comes with it to be a stumbling block and keep us from pursuing him fully and completely? So that brings us to our final slide, the challenge slide. The, as you walk out here, what I hope happens, not for just this today or this week, but for eternity, for the rest of your lives, I hope you start to understand this deeper. Are you seeking the pure milk which will bring you strength and joy? Are you chasing after that each and every day? The thing that brings eternal life, eternal glory in God? Or are you satisfied sitting in the dark? 
waiting for danger and destruction to fall upon you. Sitting there in the dark, so scared to make a move because you can't even tell what your move might do. See, for the next year as a church, we're gonna focus on making sure that you have every opportunity to the first one. To seek the pure milk, the unadulterated milk, to be grown in Christ, to move towards your salvation, right? To the, to the point of becoming more Christ-like. The question is, is are you gonna take it? Are you gonna set aside maybe some time, maybe some pride, maybe a little bit of envy or anger that you have for someone else because they're sitting in the same Bible study and you're just, I'm so mad at that person, I can't be with them. Are you gonna set that all aside and realize that the whole point of it is to seek God fully and completely? See, if we can do that this next year, church, I can guarantee you next Christmas when we're having this and next moving into 2021, you will have a sense of joy that you have never experienced before in your life. You'll have a sense of strength that comes from so deep inside of you that there's nothing, nothing Satan can throw at you. There's no amount of arrows he can fling at you that will overcome it. And you'll have a sense of hope because you'll know truly where your hope is based on. See, if you ever question your hope, if you ever question whether you're a believer, this next year is to help take care of that issue. To make sure it's 100% crystal clear who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us and who he is making us each and every day. So I hope you travel with me on this journey. I hope you take the opportunity to remove the stumbling blocks and to really plug into the growing and seeking the pure milk. It'll take time, it'll take effort. It's gonna hurt your pride occasionally. It's gonna make you have to look at some issues every once in a while. But that's a beautiful thing because unless we can identify it, we don't have any clue how to fix it. If you're not a mechanic and your car breaks down, what do you do? You take it to a mechanic who knows what to look for, right? See, how can you fix something in your life if you don't even know what you're looking for to fix? See, this is why seeking out the word of Jesus Christ, understanding the model that he has given us inside through his life into our lives is so important. It's diagnostic. It's healing. In fact, it's rejuvenating. So are you up for the challenge this year? Are you ready to pursue Christ as an infant pursues pure milk when it's super hungry? I hope so. I pray that you are. As we close up today, I want to bow our heads in prayer. We're going to pray over this message and how it affects how the Holy Spirit dwells upon your heart. We're gonna pray over these gifts behind us. I wanna thank everybody who took a name off the, the giving tree. Each one of those gifts or each one of those names that we pulled represents a child who may not have had much for Christmas. And if you look at what's up and underneath there, that's pretty amazing. And so I wanna say thank you. Thank you for having a compassionate heart, having a giving heart and a generous heart. So let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we come into your presence this morning. We kneel before your throne for you are a great and glorious God. And you have blessed us with life. You have blessed us with the world and the creation around us that we may just revel in it and see your hand in it, that we may experience it and find joy within it. 
There's nothing like walking out to a crisp snow or a nice sunny day and just being able to smell everything that's going on around us. And so, Lord, we just find ourselves in your presence wanting, wanting more of you. And we cry out for that, Lord God. Our heart, from the very core of our existence, cries out to you to understand you, to be blessed with your presence through the Holy Spirit, to to know that your work on the cross and all that it is and all that it will be in our lives was given as a gift. Lord, we ask that you bless these gifts behind us. For as you've given us the gift of salvation and truth and hope, we hope that the gifts behind us bring hope into the lives of those who they touch. For whoever, the parents, the children, may be a joyful moment. Maybe there be no shame or guilt in the fact that they're coming from other people. For They're coming with a generous heart given by you, God. And so, Lord, we just lift all this up to you. Shape our hearts to seek you fully and completely. Please, Lord, may we develop a want, a need for your word that rivals an infant for their mother's milk. Amen.